0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you this morning. Thank you, brothers, for leading us and sisters in worship this morning. I want to go to the Solomon Islands and worship with that guy. How about you guys? Man, that was incredible. So it's great to be with you again. I bring greetings from Placerita Bible Church, where I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor. And uh, just it's enjoy always to be in New Zealand. And uh, we've been having a great time at camp this particular year. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 2. and We've been working through verses 1 all the way through verse 10, where we'll end up tomorrow. And so if you haven't been with us for the first couple of sermons, we started off... Uh, if you'll take your Bibles, just go ahead and open up there. Ephesians chapter 2. We started off with the very first session reminding ourselves that we are dead. We are dead. That without Christ... That we are uh, on our way to hell, that there's no hope for us that we're born, you may be physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. and then uh, last night we looked at the fact that in Christ that God makes us alive uh, together with His Son the Lord Jesus Christ. and so we had the glorious reminder last evening that God makes us alive in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I've been kind of sharing with the students the story of how I met my wife and how we worked through those first few interactions on a dating relationship, and I just wanted to let you students know I'm going to finish that story tomorrow morning, all right? Tomorrow morning, I feel like here on the Lord's Day, it might be just more appropriate for us to dive right into the Word of God and have a full treatment of this text that we're going to look at this morning as I've entitled, This Morning's Message, By Grace Through Faith. By grace through faith. You're there in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 8 and 9, and that's where we'll spend our time together this morning. Here's what Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit to the church at Ephesus Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to just dive into your word this morning, to be filled with uh, with your presence here in this place. God, we pray that as we dive into uh, this book and uh, this passage and this text, that you would awaken our hearts this morning. God, I know that many of us may be tired from sport camp. Many of us may just kind of be arriving this morning, not necessarily following the flow of what we've been looking at this weekend But I pray, God, that for every person here in this room this morning, that you would awaken our souls and that you would speak to us by your spirit, through your word, that we would be changed this morning all by your grace, that you would be exalted in our hearts today. We count it a privilege to worship the God of creation. We count it a privilege to worship Jesus Christ of the cross. We count it a privilege, God, to come together this morning to learn what it means to be saved by grace through faith. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure that many of you have heard about the world famous acrobat from the 1800s by the name of Jean Francis Gravelet, better known as his stage name is Blondin. Blondin was born in France back in 1824. Blondin became well-known while he was still a child, and as he grew older, his skill and his showmanship brought him fame throughout Europe and throughout America. Once in London, he played the violin on a tightrope that was some 57 meters off the ground. And then he did a somersault wearing stilts. So this guy was well-known for his acrobatic ability to do tightroping on high, uh, high, high wires. And so his most spectacular feats included, you may remember this, he crossed the Niagara Falls on a tightrope almost 400 meters long and 50 meters above the water. He also, at one occasion, uh, took a stove on top of the tightrope and he cooked an omelet over the Roaring Falls. Bon appetit, right? Uh, He's also known, on another occasion, he pushed a wheelbarrow across uh, the the Niagara Falls on this high wire while he's blindfolded. On still another occasion, he uh, stood on his head on this precarious wire out in the middle of the the, uh, Niagara Falls. Um, That's why today in London, if you've traveled there, there are the Niagara and Blondin Avenues, all named after this incredible acrobat. Well, once, in an unusual demonstration of skill, Blondin carried a man... Across the Niagara Falls on his back. And after putting his rider down, he turned to the large crowd who had gathered to watch. And, uh, and he said to the crowd, and he, he found one man that was just kind of standing nearby, and he says, Do you believe that I could do that with you? And the young man looked at him and he said, Well, of course I believe that. I just saw you do it. He had just done it with another guy. And he's offering it now to this young man. He said, do you believe I can do that with you? He says, of course, I've just seen you do it. So Blondin says, hop on. Right? I'll carry you across. And the man said, not on your life. As he called back. You you see, that man had great respect for Blondin. He had great appreciation for Blondin and what he was doing. He didn't uh, doubt the fact that Blondin could carry him across, but the man simply did not have enough faith to jump on Blondin's back. And you know what? I don't blame him. If I was that man, I wouldn't have got on that guy's back either. I wouldn't have got on that guy's back for for many reasons, right? I I don't trust myself, right? I probably would have jumped on that guy's back and been like, oh! You know, I would have shaken him so much, he probably would have just fallen in and down in the river we go, right? I wouldn't trust the guy because it, it's a rope from the 1800s. I mean, come on, those ropes are like, they don't look very stable, right? They look kind of like they could be easily uh, maybe unravel along the way. You know, I, I wouldn't have trusted that guy uh, because I, I would have thought it would have just been safer for me to stay where I am on the solid ground of the shore rather than to get out on this rope. And for what? I mean, for, for what? For bragging rights? To be like, oh, I was the dummy who got on this guy's back and we went across the, the, the Niagara Falls. I mean, I just, I just wouldn't have done it. How many of you guys would have done it? How many of you guys are with me? You're like, man, I would have done that. How many of you guys, you're just asleep this morning. Okay, I got you. All right, all right. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. This guy, again, he didn't have real faith. That's the problem. The, pro- the, the, the man didn't have faith to get on this guy's back. The, the truth is that you and I exercise uh, faith every day in, in other things. You know, we, we put faith in uh, the driver of the car. Anytime you get in the car and someone else is driving, you're putting faith in the fact that person's going to get you there safely. Uh, every time you go to a restaurant, you're putting faith in the cook that they're going to prepare your food in a way that uh, will support good health. Uh, I mean, every day you have, uh, you know, you go to the dentist and you open your mouth and they stick their hands in there with sharp instruments. You have faith. They're not going to uh, make a mistake, but actually clean your teeth. Right. Every time uh, that you do certain things like that, you get on an airplane, you have faith that the pilot is going to hopefully get you safely to the place of your destination. But when it comes to having faith in Christ, some of us are just like this man who's saying, hey, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to really get on this guy's back and and go across the Niagara Falls. But let me just say to you this morning that in an infinitely greater way, Christ is saying to us this morning, get on my back in in an infinitely greater way. Christ is saying, if you want to be saved, I'd like to save you by his substitutionary atonement and by the work that he did on the cross of Jesus Christ. But in order for that to be appropriated in your life, you've got to be saved by grace and it's got to be through faith and without that faith you'll never be saved and here's the here's the other issue you might think by the way that you could just sit there and be like well i'm safer on the ground than i am on that tight wire with this guy i barely know you might be thinking that but here's the truth the bible says that the end is coming and the ground that you're standing on will be swept away and all of those who are not leaning on christ will die a horrendous death, and suffer in hell forever. And that's what the Bible says. So you really don't have the option this morning just to say, well, I'll just stay safe over here on this side of the shore. And I'll let other people go across. No, the idea is if you stay on the shore, you will die. And the only way that you can be saved is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to simply just give you two major headings for this sermon this morning. And it's simply this, by grace through faith. That's how we're saved. We're saved by grace. That'll be the first point. And then our second point will be through faith. And so let's take a little bit of time this morning and dive in and see what this means to be saved by grace and to be saved through faith. The first thing I want to say under this first heading of you're saved by grace is that's just a reminder that salvation is not about you. It's not about you. Again, look at verse eight. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. You're not saved because of yourself. You're not saved for anything that you've done. It's not about your pedigree. It's not about your heritage. It's not about your genealogy. I mean, you may have been raised in a Christian home. You may have been raised under the teaching of the word of God. You may have been raised in a place where you went to a Christian school, or you were homeschooled with Christian parents, or you were exposed to the gospel at an early age. But none of that has anything to do with the fact that you could be saved because ultimately salvation's not about you. It's not about your pedigree or your upbringing. It's not about your intellect. You know, there's a lot of smart people in the world who are not believers. There's a lot of smart people, you know, in the world that are respected for their intellect, but they don't have saving faith because they're not willing to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, but many, uh, not many were of noble birth. Uh, you know what he's saying in that verse? He said, hey, according to the world, as Christians, we're not very wise. In fact, the world looks at us and they would say that we're stupid and that we're ignorant because we believe in creation. The world would look at us this morning and say the fact that we're gathering together in the Lord's house on the Lord's day to lift high the name of Jesus, that we're actually ignorant. And they would say that we don't have much intellect because the world's standards are different than our standards. They would say we're not powerful. There are not many that are born of noble birth. But then 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring about things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, let one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so what we're saying again this morning is, If you're saved by grace, it's all a gift of God. It's not up to you. It's not up to your pedigree. It's not up to your intellect. We could also say this morning, it's not because of your works. It's not because that you've somehow done good things that would make you worthy to now be saved. I mean, look at verse 9. Again, we're looking at, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. And so we're understanding throughout the course of our weekend together, you're not saved by good works. You're not saved by helping out other people. You're not saved by reading your Bible. You're not saved by quoting verses. You're not saved by coming to sport camp. You're not saved by coming to church. You're not saved by doing your quiet time. You're not saved by giving money. There's no means of salvation outside of christ and this is kind of what the reformation is all building up to and we'll look next week a little bit at at the at the fact that the roman catholic church got so far off thinking that you could be saved through the sacraments and that that somehow grace is infused through the good things that you do that it became a damning heresy that you can never be saved apart from the grace of god it's not about our works in fact titus chapter 3 verse 5 says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Spirit. And so we love to think sometimes we had something to do with it. You know, We love to think in our Western mindset, oh, well, the reason I'm a Christian is because I chose to go to church, and I chose to invite Jesus in my heart, and I chose that I would be a good person. So surely I had something to do with it. Surely I contributed just a little bit, I mean, nobody wants to be a part of a team that wins the championship where the other team just gives it to you, right? You're like, no, that's, that's not any fun. You kind of want to play the game. I remember as a kid, you know, the other team wouldn't have enough players and they would forfeit. And I'd be like, I don't care about the win. I just want to play the team and beat them back. That's what I want to do, right? And there's something in our nature that says if God's offering you a free gift of salvation, it must be cheap. Now, if anything's free, it must, if you don't have to do anything in order to get it, then it must not be worth anything. But that's actually the opposite of what the Bible teaches us in this passage this morning, that it's all grace. In fact, if we could work for our salvation, that would be considered being self-righteous. It would be self-righteous if you believe that somehow you can contribute something to your own salvation, you know, this is the the teaching of all the cults. Uh, any cult that exists today somehow teaches that there's something that you must do in order to earn your salvation. Whenever I'm evangelizing or witnessing to people of various faiths, I'll just tell them part of my testimony is that God saved me at a young age. But when I got to college or uni, as you guys say, uh, I was there and I was struggling a little bit with how do I know it's really about Christ and not about Buddha or not about what, you know, Joseph Smith said or not about, you know, the Kingdom Hall and the Jehovah Witnesses and not about any other. How do I know that? And really, it boils down to this. Christianity is the only faith that says you could never make your way to heaven. And since you can never make your way to heaven, God reached down to earth through his son, Jesus Christ, to show you his incredible love for sinners. Whereas every other religion teaches there's something you got to do to earn your way to heaven. There's something you got to do. You got to walk an eightfold path, according to the Buddhist teaching. Or you've got to, uh, you know, do the, the Islam faith and, and practice the five Tenets of the Islam faith: to fast for the month of Ramadan, and you've got to give alms to the poor, and you've got to pray six times a day, and you've got to make a, 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 a you know a pilgrimage to Mecca. You got to do all these things in order to really be saved. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but even in the Book of Mormon, in the Book of Mormon, they've taken a lot of the Book of Mormon, uh, written by Joseph Smith, claimed to be a divine book, is just a uh, a, a lot of it sounds similar to scriptural writings. But he gives a twist on it, because that's how Satan works. Listen to this verse, which is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, skewed. And it's found in the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi, uh, chapter 25, verse 23. Listen to it. Joseph Smith writes this, uh, or he translates this book that he says was written uh, as Holy Scripture. He says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren to believe in Christ, and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, comma, after all that we can do, period. Now think about that. I mean, here we're reading from God's word, we're saved by grace through faith, period. And what he's saying is you're saved by grace, comma, after all that you can do. Now my friends, that's heresy. That's the idea of adding somehow your good works To what Christ has done to think that somehow you could be saved through your own righteous behavior. And if that's true, then grace is no longer grace. The whole point of grace is God giving something to you that you don't deserve. And by the way, it's not cheap. It cost him the death of his son. It cost him the death of Jesus Christ who gave his life and who bled and died so that you and I could be saved. For you, it's free. For God, it cost him the death of his son. And when you come to Christ and he offers that to you, we must accept that and grace alone by the means of our salvation. Otherwise, it's self-righteousness. Or we could also say that if we're boasting in salvation based on our own works, it's self-idolatry. We're we're, we're moving into self-righteousness and self-idolatry. I mean, think about it. If you had to labor and you had something to do, with your salvation, then are you really boasting in Jesus alone? If you say, well, Jesus did a good job when he died on the cross and I appreciate what he did and I'm thankful for the love, but it wasn't quite enough. What he did got me part of the way there and it helps me an awful lot, but I still got to do these good things. And if I don't do these good things and I'll suffer in purgatory or I won't quite get there until I'm able to do just enough, And somehow to earn just that that last little 10%, that last little 10% something I've got to do to get there. Well, that's contrary to the gospel of grace. It's what Paul wrote in Galatians, in Galatians 6.14, where he says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Again, Paul's saying, look, we got one thing to boast in. It's only in Christ, and Christ is a gift to us, and it's only in Christ can we be saved. It's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, for who sees anything different in you, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, he's just saying, hey, look, anything good you have, it's from God. And the main thing that you have from God is salvation. And if you boast at all that somehow you've earned that, or you deserve that, then you haven't received it in the way that it must be received in order to be understood as being grace. And so maybe you're here this morning, and you've just honestly, as I'm talking and you're thinking through this, you've been thinking too highly of yourself. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've been thinking, I'm actually not religious at all, in one sense. But then in another sense, there's certain things that you do or don't do, According to your own standard of morality and you pat yourself on the back for the certain things that you do or don't do And you think somehow that's going to get you into heaven If there is a god you might be thinking as long as I do enough good things and i'm i'm not, you know A murderer and i'm not a theft and i'm not doing drugs then somehow i'll get into heaven But the bible tells us that salvation is all by grace. You remember yesterday we talked a little bit about the difference between mercy and grace Just as a reminder, mercy is not getting what you deserve. We all deserve hell. But grace is getting what you don't deserve. And some people uh, have used that acronym of grace as being God's riches at Christ's expense. I love that reminder. It's God's riches. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's the riches of God that he gives freely as a gift. And notice how that's exactly what this verse is saying. And verses 8 and 9 again, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast. Where if you have the ESV, that's what I'm reading from this morning, it says this. If you have the NASB, then it says that that. So whether it's translated as this or that, it's interesting when you look at the translation here, because a lot of times the question is asked, well, what's the antecedent of this or that? Is he talking about grace Or is he talking about faith? What is it that's a gift? What exactly is it that's a gift? And it's interesting if you just do a little bit of the exegetical work here. uh, The word, uh, the word grace and the word faith, both charis and pistis, are actually feminine. And the word this or that is in the neuter, which simply just means this. The word, what is it? Is it a gift to you? In this text, he's not talking about specifically grace or specifically faith. He's talking about the whole thing, the whole idea of salvation is a gift from God. Now, there's other texts that allude to the fact that both grace and faith are gifts from God, but in this text, he's kind of going a little bit broader, a little bit broader, and he's saying this whole thing is really a a gift from God. It's a gift from God to us. And to kind of reignite our awe and our excitement about the doctrine of grace this morning, I want to just stimulate you by reminding you of a, a couple of truths, all right? We're thinking about how beautiful grace is how, how grand God's love is that he would give us grace. Why is that a big deal for me this morning? Well, one reason would be is because of the depth of my depravity. I mean, we have to understand that we need grace because we are sinners. And in Romans 3.10, it says there is none righteous, no, not even one. So no matter what your background is, no matter who you are this morning, the Bible tells us there's none righteous, not one, no one understands, no one seeks after God, no one does good, not even one. And so what the Bible's saying is out of all the good people in the world, you can think about Billy Graham, you could think about uh, in days past Mother Teresa, who did a lot of good things. Okay? But what we're saying is that nobody who's ever done anything good has ever in and of themselves been worthy of to be saved based on their own good work. We're totally depraved. We're we're completely categorically sinful. And the, the, the reason that it's important to remember that is because if we're sinful and God is a good judge, then we know that his judgment is coming. You understand that the judgment day of God is coming. People mock that all the time. People mock the idea of like, oh, you think Christ is going to come back and he's going to wipe out the world. You know, that's a conspiracy theory. There's going to be no ending to the world except global warming. And it's like, well, the Bible says that there's a day coming when God will judge the living and the dead. In Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, it says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, comes judgment so what we're saying is you got one life you die one death and in one day god will determine whether you're going to live forever in heaven or to die and go to hell there is a day of reckoning and on that day of reckoning jesus talks about this and the parables that he gives in matthew 25 he gives the parable of the 10 virgins who have their lamps remember five of the of the virgins ran out of oil And when the groom finally came, they needed to scramble and go find their oil, but it was too late. Uh, We read about it in the parable of the talents. Uh, We read about it in the sheep and the goats judgment. And the idea and that big picture idea of of the judgment day is that there's no surprise that should come to you as an unbeliever, that there's no surprise that should come to you because on this day, on on this day in October, on this uh, at this sport camp, you're being told from the word of God, that that day is coming. In fact, listen to the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 25 as he's preaching this sermon on the the end that's coming. He says this, on that day of the sheep and goats judgment, he he says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then he will also answer saying uh, then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will turn and answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here's all I'm trying to say The Bible makes it abundantly clear it's either up or down, it's either heaven or hell. It's either that you live eternity with Christ forever by being a recipient of his grace. Or you can reject that grace in your own dead condition and walk away from Christ and suffer an eternity apart from Christ. That's why we need grace. That's why it's such good news this morning. The gospel is good news. And the good news is God offers grace to all those that will repent and believe. That God offers grace, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. It's even from eternity past that you were chosen in Him, that He would pull you out of the kingdom of darkness, and He does that all by grace. Now, this morning, we're looking at the fact that you're saved by grace, but not only are you saved by grace, there's another important word I want to talk about, and it's through faith. You're saved by grace but you're saved through faith. And that's kind of what we were talking about in our introduction this morning, Do you have enough faith to jump on the back of Christ in order to follow him to safety. And the idea behind faith is there's a lot of misunderstandings about faith. I think when we talk about the word faith in our culture, there's just a whole lot of of misunderstandings. Let me give a few of them to you. Uh, When people talk about faith, they oftentimes think of it as just a strong feeling. Just a strong feeling that some people would say uh, faith is a really strong, subjective feeling. It's like someone gets this really strong thought and feeling in their gut, um, but they can't even explain it. And it's all relative and it's subjective and it's existential and it's individualistic and it's feeling uh, what you feel in your gut. Well, that's not faith. Faith is not just something you feel or that you feel like it's a a strong feeling. Some people describe faith as a superficial belief. Uh, It's it's very shallow. This would be like someone saying they have faith in Santa Claus. You guys have Santa Claus over here who comes around in the summer in his swimsuit instead of his red coat like we're used to in the States. But you might say, I, I just believe Santa Claus is coming. I'm sorry if I just burst your bubble. He's not he's not coming. I see some kids in here, but he's not coming, right? The idea is um, that that would be a a superficial, you're like, uh uh-oh, that would be a superficial faith, right? That would just be, we can pretend that we can have fun and we can enjoy some of those things, but to to really say as an adult that that's where you're placing all of your faith, that's that's just a superficial belief in in having faith. Some people will say, well, they just have faith in faith. You know, sometimes you ask, well, you just got to have faith. Have faith in what? Well, I just have faith. In what? Well, I just, I just have faith. That's what I do. I'm a faithful. What do you have faith? I have faith in faith. You know, what does that mean? You have faith in faith? You know, the, the problem is people have misconceptions about what faith is. Some people would see faith as just a positive mindset. They would just say, "Hey, you got to stay positive. You got to be optimistic. You know, it's like hanging on when your team's losing the game and you're hanging on. I just got faith. They're going to come back. They're going to come back. Some of you were thinking that last night. I know, I know you were, right? No, but the idea is, you just got to have faith, and you're just having this desire, right? You're just hoping and hoping and hoping. If you stay positive and you think positive, that it'll happen. You think that's faith. That's not faith. Uh, some some people. The worst one is this. Some people think that you have faith within yourself." And that somehow faith resides in you, and that you've got to conjure up faith inside of you in order to somehow express that and put that into something. That's also heretical. You don't have any faith, at least not saving faith within yourself, because just like grace is a gift from God, according to this text, faith is also a gift. It's a general reference to both grace and faith all being a gift from God. Or there's a cross reference if you want to jot down Second Peter one one is another cross reference that talks about faith being a gift. In other words, you're saying it's not inside of you. You don't possess it. It's not something that is superficial. It's it, faith here is a gift from God. It says Simon Peter, Second Peter one one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It says in that verse that he's obtained a faith. And that word obtained is an uncommon word in the New Testament, and it means that he's attaining by divine will. So in other words, he's obtained that faith. He's been given faith by the divine will of God, And and that faith is something that's given to him. And so here's the truth about faith. Those are some misconceptions about faith. Let me give you the truth about faith. Let me define for you this morning faith from God's word. If you had to pick one verse to talk about, well, where does the Bible talk about what faith is? I might go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Turn there with me if you will, and you'll see a little bit what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us what faith really is. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1, the hall of faith, as we read about heroes from the Old Testament, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this in 11.1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What he's saying here is that faith is not a whimsical desire. Faith is assurance. Faith is something that's grounded in the work of Christ. Faith is something that's given to every believer, and it gives you ultimate assurance of things that you're hoping for. And what you're hoping for in this context is eternal life. And hoping for it doesn't mean in the Bible, the word hope doesn't give again the idea of like, well, I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope that, you know, we get out of here on time today. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. In the Bible, that's not how the word hope is used. The word hope is a person, The word hope is Jesus Christ. The word hope is that we put our faith in him as God gives us faith. That faith is an exercise in him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Skip down to verse 6, another definition of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's another definition of faith. This is saving faith. Without faith, if you don't have saving faith, it's impossible that you could ever please God. But if you have saving faith, then it draws you near to him and you believe in him and you believe in salvation. And faith is really this idea of really three things. When I think about faith, I think about three things. And I base this a little bit on uh, James Montgomery Boyce calls faith, biblical faith. He says that it's knowledge, it's heart response, and it's commitment. Knowledge, heart response, commitment. Spurgeon refers to these same three concepts, and he says that uh, uh, he says these three things, or it's about knowledge, belief, and trust. If we were to look at Martin Lloyd Jones when he talks about faith, discusses the same three things. He describes it as awareness, assent, and commitment. And so here's what we're talking about: faith. Faith is this knowledge. It's not just saying I have faith in faith faith begins with this idea of there is a knowledge of the gospel. There's a knowledge of who Christ is. When when the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, it's faith in God. It's faith in God's son, Jesus Christ. It's faith in the gospel. And let me just tell you, the gospel is this. God is holy and he is the creator of everything and he desires a relationship with sinners. But the problem is God's holy and we're not. You and I, are fallen creatures and because we've fallen in our sin fallen short of the mark of god's holiness there is a divide between the holiness of god and the sinfulness of man the good news is that's why jesus came the good news is jesus came to live a perfect life to die on the cross and was raised from the dead so that you can be moved from your condition of being dead to being made alive in him but the but the the, the real uh, catch to it all is that there must be some type of appropriation that happens in your own life, that there there must be a moving from just not just having the knowledge of this, but we've got to move from the knowledge to having a heart belief. In other words, a lot of people know the story of the cross in America, as I'm sharing with people about the Lord Jesus Christ. they might say, oh, I know the whole story. Jesus came and he died on a cross and he's raised from the dead. And that's why we celebrate, you know, Easter. And I'm like, well, you may know that, up in your head with knowledge, but is that the same thing as having a heart belief? And really, faith is the word in the original language, it's the word pistos and it's a verb form of the word pistuo uh, that means to believe. And so the, 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 the noun is pistus, faith, uh, the, the verb form is pistuo, which means to believe. And so it has similar origins. Faith, faith is believing. And so what we see here is that this, this is something that God gives to us. He gives you the ability to to to, uh, to believe. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So in other words, he's saying it's been granted to you. It's a gift. To believe is a gift. It's not just a choice that you make on your own. It's something that God does in you, God is the one who enables you to believe. And so we're talking about faith is knowledge. Faith is a heart belief. But there's one more aspect to faith. And faith is a committed trust. Faith is not only do you have the knowledge of the gospel, not only would you say, I believe, not only do I know that happened, but I believe that that happened. There's another element to that belief. And that belief, that final element is, and I trust in that. I trust in Christ's work on the cross. And it kind of goes back to that, you know, that opening illustration about getting on the back of Blondin to follow him across the tight wire. You might know that those kind of things happen. You might believe that it's very possible for someone else to cross the tight wire across the Niagara Falls. But until you trust personally, until you personally trust in the fact that Jesus Christ carries you across, then you don't have saving faith. And so when we look at this idea that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast, what we're saying is is that that salvation is all about grace alone through faith alone. And these are two of the five solas of the Reformation. It's all by grace alone, it's all through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, faith is also inseparable... From works. This is another just add-on that I want to say. Sometimes people will say, okay, I have the knowledge, I have the belief, and I've trusted. But then when you examine their life, you don't see any real change. And the Bible talks about the fact that if you're truly saved, like Jesus says in John fifteen five, I am the vine and you are the what? The branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit. So in other words, true saving faith, in addition to having knowledge and belief and trust, true saving faith bears fruit. You know why? Because true saving faith is about you abiding in Christ. You know, you have a lot of grapevines around this beautiful country where those branches abide in the vine. And the vine is what takes the nutrients up from the ground and soaks up the water. And it sends the, uh, the nutrients up uh, to, to the leaves and to the vines to make the fruit. But if you separate the branch from the vine, it's not going to keep growing. It's just not. And the idea is that if you're abiding this morning, which means you're remaining in Christ. And Christ also, get this, did you ever realize not only is it about me abiding in him, but it's about him abiding in me. It goes both ways. It's like I'm responsible, in a sense, for abiding in Christ, but Christ abides in me. That means he remains in me. He's faithful to me. He continues to pour into me. He's abiding in me. I'm abiding in him. And as that happens, I'm bearing much fruit. And by the way, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And so if you're examining your life, you don't see any real fruit of a transformed life of someone who's sold out for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it could be that you're not saved. It could be that if you examine your life this morning and you just start to see whether or not you're really living for Christ, and if you had to be honest with yourself, and you were were having to say, you know what, I don't really hunger for the word of God. I I don't really go to church. I don't really serve anywhere. I've never given a dollar to Christ's name for his work and his mission. I, I, I really don't care about about. The things of the Lord, but I'm a Christian, then I would challenge you this morning and say, do you really have saving faith? Because the Bible also says in the book of James that our faith works. Our faith is put into practice. Faith is a gift from God. But James tells us very clearly, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? So don't get confused here. He's not saying you're saved by your works. You're only saved by faith. But he's saying if you have faith, that's never put into action, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? In other words, if you tell somebody, hey, I'm sorry that you're hungry, and I'm sorry that you're thirsty, and I'm sorry that you're cold, but just go live your life, are you really helping that person out? No. And so in, the, in that illustration, he's saying that faith by itself if it doesn't have works, is dead. If you, if you say you have faith, but it doesn't match up with your life, then your faith is really phony. Your faith is dead. But if someone will say to you, uh, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so the idea here is he's saying, look, the way you demonstrate saving faith is that you can look at your life and see God at work transforming you from the things that you used to desire to the things that you now desire. Because the text goes on to say, uh, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, even the demons believe in the gospel message, but they've not entrusted themselves to Christ. uh, Do you want to be shown, oh you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And so he goes into that Whole argument again about the fact that if you have saving faith, then you will be producing fruit. That fruit is produced in you by Christ because he abides in you, but your life will show it. Let me try to close just with this simple illustration. I know we hinted at uh, already about the game last night. I'm not a rugby fan. I don't uh, watch rugby except when I'm in New Zealand uh, and uh, sometimes Australia. Uh, But last night I had a blast just watching you guys here as we were watching the All Blacks in the first half of the game last night. And I want to ask you a question just by way of thinking through what we're talking about today that connects with that. What what if you were to say, I were to come up to you and I were to say, hey, are you a rugby fan? And let's say that you're an avid fan of rugby and you love the All Blacks, which I'm assuming almost everybody in this room, except for the front row, almost everybody in this room would say that that's true. Could say that that's true. So what if, no, sorry, sorry, brother. Uh, so you know, what if I were to say, hey, are you a fan of the All Blacks? And you were to say, yes, I love the All Blacks. In fact, I was told by someone just last night. I was told the All Blacks never lose. I was told that last night during the game. Somebody told me. I won't tell you who, but somebody told me the All Blacks they just never lose, all right? So if I were to ask you, are you a fan of the All Blacks? And let's say that you say, yes, I am. I am a fan. I I love the All Blacks. And then let's say we go a, a, a little deeper in our conversation. And I begin to ask you a few more things about the All Blacks, such as I start to ask you, well, tell me about their coach. Do you like the coach of the All Blacks? Do you like the way that he's reserved and a gentleman and he controls himself, unlike other coaches that go wild during the game? And, and, uh, and I, if I were to ask you that question and you were to look at me with a blank stare and say, I have no idea who the coach of the All Blacks is. I have no idea what you're talking about. Would you think that's a little bit odd if you were an avid fan and you didn't know what I was talking about? Or what if I were to say something to you like, hey, what do you think about the All Blacks? Aren't, aren't the jerseys that they wear, aren't those awesome jerseys? You know, they're all black. You know, it's got AIG, whatever that means, you know, on the jersey. It's got, they got these numbers. on. Aren't those jerseys so cool? Don't you want one of those jerseys? And if you were to look at me and say, uh, I don't even know what color their jerseys are. I mean, wouldn't that be a little bit odd? Well, what if I were to say to you, did you know that, uh, that the Wallabies have never lost, or, or haven't won, rather, the, the Wallabies haven't won in New Zealand for 25 years? That was the stat I was told last night. They haven't won in New Zealand for 25 years. And let's say that you were like, oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm starting to think it's a little bit odd that you're claiming to be a fan. You know, what if I said, hey, look, the only reason the All Blacks lost last night is because their best player was injured. And you were like, oh, I didn't know that. Here, here's the clincher. What if I said uh, the All Blacks made it to the World Cup and they're in the championship game and I've got free tickets for you and me to go? We're friends. So you and I are going to go to the All Blacks game free of charge. We're going to sit there in the best seats in the stadium. We're going to be served great food. Watch the game. It's going to be incredible. And I invite you to come with me. And you look at me and say, I don't want to go to the game. Would it be fair for me in that moment to say, you're not a fan? Would that be fair? If you've been bragging about, oh, I'm a fan of the All Blacks. You don't know their coach. You don't know anything about their record. You don't know what their jerseys look like. There's a there's, there's the World Cup game. You don't even want to go to it and it's free of charge. It would be appropriate at that moment for me to look at you and say, you're not a fan. And here's my point. So many of us are like, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. Oh, I, I believe. Oh, I've been to church. Oh, I, I, I believe in the gospel. And yet when I start asking questions of you about your life, hey, tell me about your walk with Christ. Oh, you know, what? I, I've been kind of busy lately. Tell me about your time in the word. Where are you reading right now in the scripture? And what's God teaching you? Oh, you know what? I've just, I, I haven't been reading my Bible lately. Lately. Oh, where, where do you go to church? What's the name of your church? Where do you worship? Oh, I, I don't really, I don't go, I don't go to church. What's the name of your pastor? What's his name? Oh, I, I don't know what his name is. You're starting to get the point at some point in there. You got to start thinking like, hey, you're not a Christian. You may say that you're a Christian, And you may think that because you know some things about Christianity that you're a Christian. But the truth is, unless you get into the wheelbarrow of God's grace and you're taken across from this life to the next through Jesus Christ, then you're not going to be saved. Being saved means that you're saved by grace, through faith. In the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you're saved by grace through faith, it has a radical transformation of your life. And everybody knows it. Everybody that looks at you sees a different person. Everybody that looks at you knows that you used to be about this, but now you're about that. You used to be about the world, now you're about the things of God. That everything in you and every moment of every day is like, I'm yours, Lord. I don't deserve salvation. I am a wretched sinner. And yet you've extended your grace to me, a free gift. And you've appropriated faith in my heart by calling me out of darkness into your marvelous light. It's a work of God. But it's also a response that God calls you out. And so this morning, if you're here under the sound of my voice, I'm calling you. This morning, I'm calling you out of a world of darkness out of a world of sin, out of a world of shame, out of a world of hypocrisy, out of your stupor. And I'm calling you to wake up, to wake up that on this day, Christ came and he died on a cross for sinners. And he loves to call his children out of darkness into light. So don't leave this sport camp. Don't leave this morning without seriously thinking about turning from your sin Asking God to open your heart and to save you radically all by his grace through faith in Christ alone. Jump into the wheelbarrow of God's grace and by faith let Christ carry you home. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to just consider these simple but profound truths of what it means to be saved by grace Through faith. And God, my heart goes out to the young people in this church and at this camp, even to all those that are gathered in this room this morning, that we would be awakened by your great love for us. That we wouldn't yawn when the pastor talks about grace or mercy or faith, but rather we would be stirred up on the inside that we're in need of your grace this morning. That if there would be several here today that are lost and dead in their sin or in their self-righteousness on this day, God, I pray that you would show them the beauty of your grace. I pray, God, that you would show them that real faith is that which not only knows the truth, but believes in the truth and in a sense commits and trusts in Christ as the only way that we can be saved, that the just shall be saved uh, by grace, and it's all through faith. God, I pray for the Christians that are here this morning that you would just remind us of these, these truths, God, that we would be stirred up this morning, that we sometimes uh, are to uh, take it for granted, that we've been saved by your amazing grace. That sometimes our faith isn't producing the kind of works that we know that you call us to do. I pray that this morning you would just stir us up, God, that we would want to do a, a better job abiding in Christ, and Christ abiding in us. And yet, at the same time, we would be reminded that we can't. It's a work of your spirit. That it's got to be you, God. You initiate. And you fill us. And you draw us. And you consume our, our, our lives, God, with a, with a passion for you. I pray that you would give every Christian in this room a revitalized passion for the glory of God. That you would help us to, this week, as we go out into the world, to want to get up a little bit more earlier spend time with you. That we would want to walk a little bit more faithful to our Christian roots. That we would be a little bit more bold about salvation by grace through faith. That we would be satisfied not with the things of this world. But rather we would be satisfied with Christ. That we would be amazed at his life and his death and his sacrifice. That we would be changed forever from the inside out. By grace through faith in Christ alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.